Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 170 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracu. Jacob, I've been seeing a lot of you lately, and it what is. a treat it has been. It's nice to be able to actually see each other outside of this situation and not have to worry about possibly dying of infectious diseases. That's nice. Right? That does feel good. Get to do stuff again. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. That is such a nice, uh, such a nice <laughs> little thing. So we got to see each other last week. Because we went to see Dune. Indeed we did, and it was pretty great, I got to admit. We had a good time. Oh, I, I, this, I love myself a good sci-fi, space-faring epic, and boy, oh boy, is that what we got in spades with this one, man. Yeah, I mean, for decades, so Frank Herbert's, this is a very audacious science fiction masterwork that is Dune, was really considered unadaptable. I mean, it's still, I'm amazed he was able to get this in screen. And they got it made for $30 million less than Jungle Cruise. So let that roll around in your brain, everybody. Figure that one out. That's upsetting. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's a huge feat. Like I said, it was considered unadaptable. And then in 1984, David Lynch's attempt proved that to be true. Yeah. Or, or less. Well, dude, I started watching that the other day. That movie is a little rough, dude. Although, honestly... It is, like, beyond rough. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know anybody else could have done a better job, but it is still not a great movie. Yeah. And then, for years, it seemed that the greatest film that would ever come out of Dune would be a 2013 documentary that I've mentioned so many times about the failure to make this great book a movie, which is Jodorowsky's Dune, which I just... Is so good. So you mentioned this, is, this to me numerous times. I, I gotta like check it out. This is um, the Chilean French movie maker. It's his completely unhinged and sadly ultimately abortive effort to mount a screen adaptation with a projected 14-hour running time, oh. featuring a starring role for Salvador Dali. Um. There was a burning giraffe in there. Orson <laughs> Welles was in it. Mick Jagger was in it. Anyway, it's sad that we didn't get that. Yeah, but <laughs> and then like the, they tried again on TV when Sci-Fi oh, yeah, Channel right. made a mini series of Dune, which the acting was fine, but then you know, they're on Sci-Fi and then it looks like crap because they don't have the budget to actually make a decent <laughs> adaptation of it. So looks yeah. like we're finally getting one that people are going to be able to watch and enjoy. I mean, the issue is that it's so dense and there's just mm -hmm. so much detail to get across to your audience, even in the background exposition before you get to the actual narrative of the film. But nevertheless, it is one of those books that is so beloved and influential that it has always been in the back of Hollywood's mind, waiting to be put back on the screen once again. And here we are. And we are living in the golden times here, everybody. If, uh, it feels pretty good. If you haven't guessed, we will be talking about our experience watching Dune. Um, and then instead of cramming a bunch of other stuff in, that's it. We're just going to talk about Dune. That's all we're going to do, man. That's all we're going to do. And then we're going to roll around in some sand dunes, and that's that. We'll fight some worms, discuss who would win in the sandworm battle between Dune and the Beetlejuice <laughs> guys. It's going to be a very in-depth conversation. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so I want, for people that have never read Dune or seen Dune, maybe it's not for them, they think, I'm going to try to break it down. So give me a second. My right. lips are going to be flapping for a minute here as I'm going to try to concisely as possible explain what it's about. I'm going to go grab me a Snickers. I'll be back. <laughs> Maybe you should. Okay. So the year 
is 10,191, and humanity is ruled by a planetary imperium that tracks and manipulates the relationships between the noble houses, shifting families back and forth according to the emperor's whims. So pretty standard so far. Pretty good. The favor now seems to land on House Atreides, which has been gifted control and residency of the planet Arrakis, which is also known as Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's known as Dune because it's covered with desert from pole to pole, thus sand dunes. <laughs> pretty, no. pretty good decision there. I think they, they nailed it with the name. I'll give them That's that much. That's pretty good. So Dune is the home of spice. That is a substance that allows the members of the spacing guild the who take it as a drug to kind of jump through space, transporting people and materials all around the galaxy. Whoever controls spice production on Arrakis will become very rich indeed mm-hmm. because everyone needs the spice. But the Atreides family... Um, and their vassals need to tread lightly because the gift of Arrakis is definitely a test and likely a trap. Um, overseen by the Atreides' powerful enemies, the brutish House Harkonnen. I hope you're with me so far. I'm with you so far. Luckily, Game of Thrones, I spent eight years learning how this stuff <laughs> okay. works. I, I got, my, got my house names down. Okay. So now we have Duke Leto Atreides played by Oscar Isaac. Who is a full-on meal in this one. He's not even a snack. <sighs> no, he is a he's meal. a full-on meal. That beard, just stop it. And his family. And then we have the Bene Gesserit, which is an order of this genealogically obsessed sorceresses. We'll come back to that. His concubine, Lady Jessica, who's played by Rebecca Ferguson. Woo, we'll talk about oh, that more. Oh, absolutely. She's and, killing it lately. And their son, Paul, who's played by Timothy Chalamet. They arrive on the planet ready to ally themselves with the blue-eyed freemen, that is the native human population who have developed ways of surviving in the wasteland, building these still suits, they recycle the body's water, Mm -hmm. and then they have to walk in odd ways so as not to attract the attention of, did we mention the giant sandworms that swim beneath the desert surface, plaguing the space mining equipment and swallowing anything in their path. But before they can accomplish much, <laughs> Baron Harkonnen, played creepily by Stellan Skarsgård, and his forces, led by the sadistic Beast Rabin, that's what's that's his mis- name? That's Dave Batista. That's right. They wreak havoc. Multiple time WWE champion. Of Batista. course. Changing the course <laughs> of the Atreides family's fortune. What they don't count on is the possible hidden power of the Atreides' son, Paul. That's what we're trying to figure out. He's got some sort of connection to the Freeman. Um, deeper than anyone suspects. Okay, as you can tell by my long description, Dune is complex. And did we mention this is part one? Yes, this is the <laughs> first part. So setting up the exposi- exposition that is needed to understand what's going off and then just cutting off about halfway through the novel as Warner Brothers kind of, I think, preferred to wait to see how the movie did. Mm-hmm. before they gave permission for part two, which we do know. Which they did make. They did give permission. They probably made a mistake not filming him at once, but it's all going to work out fine. They're, they're doing it. We're not going to have to be sitting on a cliffhanger. It's going to be all good, guys. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, Denis Villeneuve manages to be both... It, it's hugely satisfying, and like as Jacob said, it's incredibly frustrating because it's this tour de force, this you know cinematic sci-fi, mm-hmm. it's star-studded, deeply weird fantasy epic, and it's really thoughtful in a thrilling movie experience. But it, the stopping in the middle, 
I I do feel like I would have <laughs> really been really hurt. I would have been fine with like a five hour movie and like just give me a twenty minute intermission. Oh, we said that in the theater. We were like, hey, I uh, I could definitely like take a little break and then come back in and do so much more of this. Um, and we were not the only ones in there saying that. Like I heard multiple people in the theater were like, I would have just like kept oh, it going. Oh, totally. Here. So I guess part two is supposed to open in twenty twenty three. But again, that's good because this would have been a very unsatisfying cinematic experience if there was no sequel which they're doing to us all the time so thank you for not doing it to us I, I also like the idea that um, the director has already came out and said like the second movie is going to be much more crowd friendly like this one is very crowd friendly it's a very good movie but the second one's going to be a lot more action heavy and which stuff. you definitely feel oh, as yeah. the movie's ending and I mean because it's it's halfway it leaves out so much of the story and so many numerous characters and mm-hmm. scenes that you encounter in the book um, and this is not a criticism of this movie. This movie is fantastic on oh, its yeah. own. Like it is, they definitely pick the right director on this. Absolutely. And then Villeneuve and co-writers John Spates and Eric Roth, I think they made a real narrative decision to withhold so much mm-hmm. that presumably to make like the killer um, second film. Oh, absolutely. He, he also he wouldn't agree to make the adaptation with just one movie because this world kind of takes its power and details, so you need the time. This is part of the reason that that 1984 film failed so badly. This is a two and a half hour movie that does half of the book. That was a movie, that was a two hour movie that was doing <laughs> the entire book. It may, It was unwieldy to say the least. You yes. couldn't understand a thing that was happening in that movie. Not at all. And now we're really lucky because in Villeneuve's hands, <clears throat> this version of Dune is richly detailed. It's hugely evocative imagery, um, like really striking imagery and imagining. And Arrakis looks, it's a desert planet that looks fantastic. That's hard to do. Like it, yeah, to deserts not just... are not usually very movie friendly. They're not very interesting to look at, but they managed to do it in this one. And as Jacob said, like now is it beautiful, but there's so many ideas flying around in this film that many are mentioned only once because they're kind of moving along so that you are invited to develop your own thoughts on equality, scarcity of resources. There's ideas of climate crisis and war and feudalism. You can touch on space travel and dreams and parenthood and I mean, I mean all of the things so much of it they're in the first 10 seconds of this movie when there's like a voiceover in the Fremen language and they're talking about who's going to be their next oppressor and they do a smash cut to Paul Atreides's face it's like there's more foreshadowing and like context and subtlety in the first 10 seconds from um, Villeneuve than like a Zack Snyder has done in his entire career yeah. it's just crazy how good of a director and how much he's letting you know he's setting stuff up for you that you don't even know is coming Yeah. for future movies that might not even happen, but they're in the book. So it's like, we got to have it in there. Yeah, totally. So we'll get into a little bit about Villeneuve and then I actually have a clip of him talking about Dune um, and how much it meant to him. But he really, he was doing films in France that were doing well, but he really broke into the mainstream with Prisoners and Enemy. Yes. Oh, Enemy. Oh boy. (laughs) We'll talk about that movie sometime. Um, Both of these showcase how he knows how to show his ability for tackling challenging subject matter, but with grace and nuance. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not intimidated by high-concept projects. No, and then he oh, blew up and crushed it with the uh, with the arrival when that came out, like, Best yeah, Picture I mean, nominee. I think he, with that, he really distinguished himself as one of the most capable cerebral 
sci-fi directors. Right. Like, because Arrival, oh, God. It, the like subtlety in that movie, I love so much. And even Blade Runner. Blade Runner, too. Yeah, Blade Runner was very good. Like, that was a movie that shouldn't have actually worked, but it, it did. It's a very... I, it's a worthy follow-up to the original. Blade Runner is probably my least favorite of his films, which but is not, fair. Not visually, but maybe the story. But it definitely shows you that this is the guy that you want. Yeah, you're doing sci-fi. You want to get this guy if you can. Like he's, he's the dude. 100. Especially because Dune is all about is all about cerebral themes and epic epic spectacle, and he. He likes exploring, like I said, they're, they're high concept ideas, but they're also really deeply human. I mean, that's pretty much a rival. In a exactly. Nutshell. Like, that's exactly what's going on there. And this dude, he has a visual style. Like, he knows how to film, like, spaceships and such to give scale. Oh, Some, his there are scale such, is fantastic. There are such beautiful scenes, like the like when there's battle scenes in the middle of this movie and there's, like, explosions going off and people running all over the place yeah. and just battles going on and... Oh, it's just so, so beautiful. Let's man. talk more about his detail. But first, I wanted to play this clip of an interview because, you know, this was a book that he found as a young boy and affected him so much. And I always feel like that is what makes the best movies. Like Peter Jackson loved Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That is why Lord of the Rings, you know, he was so caring with it and he put so much of his life into it. And it's fantastic. And I feel like Villeneuve is doing the same thing with Dune. I mean, it's so important that your director, whoever actually has some kind of emotional stake in what they're doing, they're going to do it so much more. It's Absolutely. so fantastic that they got somebody who's a fan of the book to make yeah. this movie. Ooh, so let's do a little uh, clip with him. The thing is that uh, I read Dune when I was like maybe. 13 or 14 years old. It, it's it's a, a book, frankly, that came, I came in contact with the book by coincidence. I remember the first time I saw the cover in the library. At the time, I was like, a, I, I was a teenager that deeply loved uh, reading book, books. I was reading a lot and I was always looking for new material. And at the time I was starting to, I was very good in science and I was starting to be uh, um, more and more curious and more and more amazed by by uh, by science fiction. Uh, Dune is a very very rich book. So when having had that kind of sensibility, I saw that very beautiful book cover about a, a man with blue eyes. I, I, I still have the book. Uh, it's um, the original book, and I I, uh, I remember that the, how I was. <laughs> It's something about book covers, huh? and 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 uh, uh, I remember reading the the back of the book, and it really uh, uh, struck me, and and I I uh, I um, dive into the book and I devoured it. I mean, I was like I I, I read all the books of Dune. It's a saga. There are several books, and the world, the complexity, the beauty, the 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 richness of the cultures, the way it was described, the the. The adventure of a boy uh, uh, um, leaving his world and having to uh, uh, adapt himself to a new reality, having to uh, to adapt himself to a new culture, to uh, have the humility to to embrace that new culture and to see the, the val- and, and to survive to the, those environments. Um, I thought was very moving at the time. Yeah, so you can see, like, this book meant so much to him um, as, a, as a young person, and it definitely stuck with him his whole life. I mean, yeah, just the way that he's talking about it, all the ideas that he had, like, you could tell he's been thinking about this project 
I kind of wonder if it's one of those ones that he was trying to like get going or when he first became a director, he's like, if I ever get a chance, if I ever hit it big, this is the one I'm going to try to get made. I mean, maybe he's also been working on it for a long time because, well, let's get into the attention to detail and set design, which mm. I'm sure took so much time in this film. This movie is gorgeous. Dude. Yeah, he is meticulous. Oh, he went above and beyond. So I feel that Herbert dreamed really big in the book. So Villeneuve did as well. Yeah. The costumes, as Jacob said, the ships and the technology, everything feels as if they are the result of a really painstakingly long pre-production process. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's details from the books that, like, they don't even mention, and I didn't even notice, but, like, because the way that he builds this world up so well that you don't even notice things like there's no computers in the world of Dune. There's yep. no guns in the world of Dune. Everybody's yep. fighting hand-to-hand -hand with swords and stuff. Which is a whole, which is a huge thing. But that's what's interesting um, is that for people that haven't read the book, he will mention things that move the story along, but they don't harp on it. No, it doesn't. So you're no. just like left to figure it out, but you do figure it out. Right. It's like, it's the thing that's always annoyed me in movies and TV when people will explain something that the explain people, in, people yeah. in the movie or the whatever it is, they already know this. They would not be sitting around. It's like, hey, Michelle. It's like if me and Michelle were making a movie now and I was like, hey, Michelle, the Buffalo Bills, you know, they're the prof a professional football team that mm -hmm. plays in the National Football League since the 1960s. You exactly. remember our hometown team. Yes. Like, that, that's it. like nobody would be saying that because it would just be known. Yes. So, and they're not doing that. Yeah. It's like you don't have to explain everything. Just let us go into just, the world and figure it out. Just let us see a giant sandworm and we will understand that that is where they live and that the sandworm, that took a year of planning just for the texture of it and how it would look when it ate. And worth it, dude. It <laughs> looks so cool. Yeah, like if you just kind of glimpsed it in the trailers, if you haven't seen the movie, um, it it is truly a sight to behold on the big screen. This the, is a film that we recommend for the big screen. We had to drag our butts out, even though we could have sat at home and watched it, which we talked about. We thought about it, but we're we like, thought about it. gotta get it on the big one, man. And um, then I think the second film is gonna take the spectacle to even greater heights. Yeah, I, I, I smell an IMAX visit for that bad boy. That's gonna be for the big, big screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're really lucky because it feels like technologically, we're finally at a place where the scope and the scale of Dune can be fully recognized. Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. literally whatever you can think, we can make it happen. If you um, plan around it, even if you just make sure your set designs, like your physical sets look good and don't blue screen everything, we well, can make this look fantastic. Absolutely, because it's also just the artfulness of the design itself that makes the world of Arrakis and all the alien technologies and environments truly come to life like in a lesser director this would be i don't want to rag on my marvel boys but this is be a situation <laughs> like if this was a marvel movie this is people sitting in a big green room and then the whole world is built up cgi behind them and yeah. that's all it would be it would be it would look good but it would be kind of soulless and lifeless you and it wouldn't have that lived-in feel that we yeah with definitely this movie. and then i like that dune hughes close enough to the novel and certainly to the spirit of the novel that nothing truly important is lost no. so far in this first half um, because Herbert's story is really lyrical and almost kind of poetic at times, and Villeneuve's film is so visually sumptuous and profoundly beautiful, even during its ugliest moments. So I have to say that I felt that the film captures the feel of a novel that I really love, and in many ways expands upon it exactly how a film adaptation ought to. Yeah, I mean, it's going to make you... People who haven't read the books are going to want to go check it out and read it. They're going to want to get more information on it. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, anything that makes you more interested in the world that they're presenting, it makes you want to find out more about it. I mean, you just want to like, you don't actually want to live in the world no. of doom, but now you I'm are. Take a pass. Yeah, you're very curious about how this universe works and where it's going to go. Because, boy, they set up some big stuff for that sequel. There's a lot of stuff they're talking about for oh, that. Oh, and I feel like Jacob would be so mad at me if we didn't mention, because it's his favorite. How about the sound design? Oh, like just the other languages. Of... I mean, it's as impressive as the visual design. And then we have the creepy and immensely ominous score composed by everyone's favorite <laughs> Hans Zimmer. He can do no wrong. Yeah, is that our Inception guy? The, like the, oh, that the noise. Wham, wham. He just sets the mood perfectly you've got that mix of like swelling strings and intense really weird choral interludes where you're like oh i'm totally creeped out by I, that I, I love choral interludes dude like i love having those and there was like electronic elements mixed in so it was really dark and foreboding but and then randomly some bagpipes yep it's got some bagpipes <laughs> in the, that was shocking dude when that happened i was like what is happening with like, this okay I mean, I was okay. just watching. I get it. I watched Braveheart, too, but I'm like, I wasn't expecting that. But Jacob said the voice. So as I mentioned, that whole Benny Gesserit thing, which makes more sense as you see the film, but they, they have this power of voice to kind of make people do things. And the way that they handled the voice was also really awesome. Yeah, that was cool, man. I, that's not what I was expecting. And I'm like, that. all right, that's a good way to do that in this movie. Everything they did was just these light things. And then you were like, okay, that's the world of it. And I like it, yeah, and I'm in it. Like, all right, we're in. All right, we'll go with you. I'm and with then you. And the, the most impressive part is if all of these things haven't been incredibly impressive is that the the cast that was managed to be all corralled into one film, the acting was so top-notch. My sweet little baby, Timothy Chalamet, was the most perfect choice for Paul. I mean, you couldn't have got a better better guy for that one, man. Not I mean, at all. This I mean, dude... <laughs> he, we were, not only is he like so adorable, too. He's not as young as in the books, but, I mean, let's be real. Does anyone really want to watch a 15-year-old lead? No. Like, me and Michelle both felt old watching this movie because looking at Chalamet and Zendaya in this movie, I was like, these are 12-year-olds in this movie. Why are they... they why have they cast in They look here? like babies. But, I mean, you, can, you know as soon as you see him, and, I mean, Villeneuve did because he didn't conduct auditions for the role of Paul. He no. handpicked Timothy Chalamet for the role. And I don't want to say that you want to like emulate too much of the uh, like the originals, but like the Paul, Kyle MacLachlan was the played this character in the original movie, and he kind of set a look that people had in their head. And I feel like Chalamet oh, kind of slides so right. I hated he, he how was, old they made him. That was a problem. But like that look with like the black hair, it's kind of like wispy and stuff like that's kind of like the look that they went with Chalamet because that's just how the dude looks. Yeah. And they kind of lucked into they got those one of the, curls. Oh yeah, oh my Lord. god, he's got that total beach curl thing going on. There are so many stars, but we did mention I was really happy to see. Oscar Isaac, A, not only in a beard, but truly land a great role in a space opera mm -hmm. since he had to suffer through yeah. like very lackluster Star Wars films yeah, as a character who was never fully realized. Yeah, they wasted him on that. How funny is it that Oscar Isaacs has gone from playing 25-year-olds to 50-year-olds in the last yeah. like couple of years? It's funny to think about how that works in Hollywood. And I, and I like it all. I'm going to start getting that beard, Who man. else did we love? Okay, so Jason Momoa, he oh. definitely gave life to his character. He was the, really charismatic. The most unbelievable thing in this movie was the fact that his name is Duncan Idaho. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I, I thought they were two different people. 
<laughs> when they said that name, I'm like, that you can, that's but not his something name. really important happens to him that was very traumatizing. I thought for just me, and then turns out I for was, Jacob as well. I was screaming. This is our first. This is a light spoiler, mm-hmm. but you guys be ready, everybody. It's a he, big one. He shaves his beard in the mm-hmm. middle of it. Nope, don't like and it. It doesn't work. No, it does not. Stop it. It's Put the a, beard back on your face. It makes your heart stop because you're like, <gasps> what is this? Why am I seeing this guy's skin? Get get it Dothraki back. Dothraki are supposed to have beards. What's going on? It's, it's like that Danny DeVito, it's always sunny meme. You're just shaking your head and you're like, mm, no, no, no. That's a, that's a pass. It. That's a pass. Okay, who else? So, and then I'll say Rebecca Ferguson. As Paul's mother, I thought she honestly stole the show. She's very good in this movie. Yes. I feel like she's an underrated actress. I mean, she started doing those Mission Impossible movies, so yeah, everybody thinks been, that's all she does. She definitely but. creeps into more stuff. Who else do we have, Jacob? We got, our ma- we got my man Thanos is in this. Got Josh Brolin rock, walk, um, walking around as the Patrick Stewart role from the yep. original movie as like yep. Paul's trainer. Uh, we already mentioned Batista. We got Zendaya walking in here. Um, David Desmalchian, he was a guy in the Suicide Squad. You probably wouldn't okay. know who he is. No, he's, he's having himself a pretty good year. Oh, um, I love Javier Bardem. Dude, I did not realize that was him when he first showed yeah, up. Yeah, Andrew didn't either. I was like, oh, I know him. He's with those fake eyes, I do. He shows up later in the movie, and as soon as he started talking, he's like, hello, let me talk to you, Paul. I'm like, he oh, there's, there's role, my man. But you can tell that he's going to have a bigger one. Oh, yeah. he's he's Him, um, Zendaya, and Batista, I feel like, are going to be huge in that second movie. So I'll say and my, Skarsgård, too. My Oh, yeah, Skarsgård. My only complaints of the film is that there's really no time spent between when House Atreides lands on Arrakis and then the kind of inevitable Harkonnen assault that you know is going to happen. I would have liked to have seen more of like Duke Leto's reaction to the state of Arrakis with Harkonnen withdrawal. Um, mm-hmm. You don't really know how long, what's the time frame on this movie? Exactly, and in the book he really bristles a lot more at the injustice that's imposed on the people. Um, that's a really big deal, but all that was kind of cut short. Which, um, we it, had to skip over it. We're kind of glossing over the details. Yeah, it's fine. A, a three hours director's cut would make me much happier. Yeah, and don't add subtitles like, you know, six months later. Like, ah, that wouldn't have worked in this movie. I don't know how they would have done it, like done the time a little bit better, but that is one minor complaint. Like, you don't know how long this movie takes place over. Yeah, It's supposed it to be a couple of weeks, I think, is what they mentioned. At least a month. Yeah. He says something to Duncan that it's been a month. But all in all, you guys, Dune is a visual feast. It is a space opera tour de force. This, I think, as a fan of the book, it pleased me. And then, Jacob, you didn't read the book, right? I did not read the book, no. And it pleased you. Oh, absolutely. So... If you're looking for a movie that's going to get you out of the house and, like, go hit theaters again, this is definitely one of them now. Yeah. One of them's going to get you in. It's going to make you curious to delve um, into the world further. And I love that we thought that we would have a short episode today. We have been yakking about Dune for this whole time. So, And there's still stuff we haven't gotten to. It's <laughs> true. So it's a great film. Please check it out. And please check it out in theaters if you can. We're trying to keep that alive. And to close this out, we're going to have a little Hans Zimmer Dune music to put us in the spirit. I like that. Okay. Jacob, plug us up. So if you want to go to your own Araxis or any other world throughout the universe and don't want to take some spice melange, you know what you got to do? <laughs> Just visit one of your local libraries. We have 37 branches all over Erie County. Stop on by, say hi, say I want to get my sci-fi on. We'll point at you and be like, I got you, dog. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, also, don't forget to visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. See what's going on and what programs we got going on uh, at your local one. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at AllBookedUpPod and let us know if you're going to go check out this movie this weekend or what you think of it. Yeah. So did you know that at first no one wanted to even publish the book? 
23 different publishers rejected Dune before a single publisher was willing to pick it up for print. Chilton Publishing, that mm. is a small Philadelphia-based organization best known for its automobile manuals. They're, they are the ones who do all of the automobile manuals. That's amazing. Well, at least they got themselves a good business there. They I sure thought. did, and they agreed to put out Herbert's masterpiece in 1965. And then despite these humble beginnings, Dune ended up selling over 20 million copies and was translated into 12 different languages. And I got a feeling both of those numbers are about to get bumped up by a yeah, bunch. I would agree. The other... Um, well, so what got him into writing Dune included the moving sands of Oregon, multiple religions, and psychedelic mushrooms. Let me explain. Okay, that was a good combination there. Yeah, I mean, to a given point, the drug use, I think, is kind of given because it was the 70s. Of but in an interview, Herbert openly admitted that mushrooms helped him come up with the concept of the spice in Arrakis. You don't say. <laughs> and um, Dune probably guessed is the it's the influence that Herbert got from both Zen Buddhism and the Christian Bible. So he used things from that to bring into the story, which you do kind of get a sense of. There is a guy wandering the desert, so that's, you know. There you go. And I love that the sand dunes of Oregon um, was a source of inspiration, which I think is a fact that not a lot of people know. So when he heard about how the sand dunes in Oregon were killing off wildlife, he got really intrigued. Um, he traveled there, and the dunes were so beautiful in their own way. Um, and yeah, to a point, they helped really give him this sliver of inspiration to make the world of Arrakis later on. Which, I mean, thank you on that, because it's like one of the most influential pieces of sci-fi, period. Yeah, if we didn't have Dune, I wouldn't have the Tremor series, and my life would just not be complete, <laughs> let me tell you that. Stop. So it did take three and a half years and approximately $165 million to make this movie. Still, again. It's real money. <laughs> $30 million less than Jungle Cruise. That's rough. Um, they settled on the famous Wadi Rum Valley in Jordan. That's where they filmed it. That's where, like, Lawrence oh, okay. of Arabia and the Martian stuff were filmed. But Wadi Rum posed a problem. It didn't have any dunes. So get this, the crew had to collect samples of sand from Jordan in water bottles so that when they went to other locations, they could match its color. And then they ended up going to Abu Dhabi to finish. That's what you call irony, everybody. <laughs> right? Isn't that just crazy? <laughs> we like carrying the sand around. But okay, those are our Dune facts. Thank you so much for listening. As you can see, we enjoyed the film. We hope that you do as well. And we will catch you next time. Bye.